There is love in you. Mulholland Drive. This is Off the List. It is the summertime. And in the summertime, we're still crossing things off the list because the crossing never stops. Welcome everyone to Off the List. All right. And this week on Off the List, we have what I'm going to affectionately call a very interesting couple mm-hmm. with There Is Love in You by Fortet mm-hmm. and Mulholland, I believe I pronounced that right, Drive. Mulholland, sure. Mulholland, thank you. Yeah. Drive by the one, the only David Lynch. And we're going to be starting with Fortet. He is a kind of fondly referred to as the definitive indie electronative artist. And he is actually named Kieran Hebden. He is South African, but he lived in Hmm. and grew up in London. And Mm -hmm. he had a really interesting musical career he's part of a bunch of post-punk bands and then he started releasing all of this electronic music about 10 years in his career and that's really where he took off as fortet he released a bunch of albums earlier in his career which have been described in a very clunky way as folktronic it was the it was the early 2000s it was it was kind of like everyone was just kind of everyone was shooting for it but folktronic was what came out and (laughs) The album that we're listening to today is what I would call the second act of his career, which is the early 2010s, where he really got into Microhouse. And in my opinion, this album is a definitive album for Microhouse. And not only that, it projects its way into where electronic music was going in the minds of people in the coming decade and up to today. And it did so with incredible grace and also precision. But at the same time, I still have not really ever heard an electronic album quite like this one otherwise. So with that said, before we actually get into the music, I just want to ask Nadira, how was your first time listening to this? Had you heard any Fortet songs before? Yeah, so I mean, potentially I could have heard a Fortet song before this, but not to my knowledge. And I don't really, you know, I I was just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I listened to it and was like, yeah, I would study to this. Like, I was just mm-hmm. like, I mean, yeah, it's it's cool. It definitely is cool. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of the sampling that was going on. There was a lot of weird things that I don't think I'd necessarily heard before in other electronic and house music. But it wasn't necessarily the type of house music that I would you know, dance to per se. Like it very much is introspective music to me. Like I would put this on while doing something else. I feel like there might've been one or two songs, maybe love cry. I think might be Mm -hmm. the only one where I was, where I was thinking, Oh, I would actually, you know, if this was playing in a gig, I would stand up, we would be dancing. It would be dance time. But other than that, I think it was just, I mean, it was just night, you know, you just, put it on while you're doing other things. I'm sorry if that's not how they intended it to be, but it's a nice (laughs) companion. I I think that's good. Mm -hmm. It's a nice companion to everyday life, if that makes sense. No, I think that that's, I think you're describing it as if you're like embarrassed of that opinion. Like you want it to be more. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, but I think that that is 
the point of this project in a lot of ways. Okay, where great. I, I, I said, you know, introducing this project last week, I was like, it's kind of a harbinger of this more lo-fi, chill, relaxed type of electronic music that would kind of dominate a lot of online spheres. You can't hear a corporate ad without it playing in the background. And I think a lot of the music is perfectly not offensive, which is its point. But a lot of it does contain no soul, which, you know, you know, as you're listening to it, you're just like, it's just there for to exist in the background. And what I find so fascinating about this project is the soul that it has inside of such a simple style of music. And mm-hmm. it does that within those samples that you talk about. They're really interesting sampling ideas where it's this, whether it's the singing or the guitars or the drum patterns are always really uh, slightly off for what you mm-hmm. describe, for what you'd think would be background music. And then I always describe this music as not the music that you put on at the club, but the music you put on walking to work the morning after the club. Yeah, I think albums that generally are non-lyrical to me are really good for zoning out or for getting me to this sort of liminal space, right? Between paying Mm -hmm. attention to everything that's going around me and being present and then being completely somewhere else or in a daydream. So it's somewhere in between. And so I found myself listening to this album while definitely while moving you know while washing the dishes while folding clothes while doing something but something that is a repetitive task not necessarily something that is like laborious or anything like that so Mm -hmm. i don't know i i I definitely agree it's hard for me i was trying to think of for a while what it was giving and it's really hard for me to pinpoint what i feel this album is giving because i feel like what it's actually giving is not the album <laughs> like I feel like <laughs> what it's actually giving is just like here is again a tool to take you to this other thing mm-hmm. right and so it's hard for me to have some sort of hilarious quippy moment about what this album is giving but it's certainly giving something it is <laughs> yeah no that it, it's I when I gave it to you I kind of knew it would be challenging to describe because yeah. it's and maybe you'll disagree with this. I'm actually curious. In my opinion, while you're listening to it, it feels extremely plain in a lot of ways. It feels mm-hmm. very understood in a lot of ways. But then when you understand when it came out and what has followed it afterwards, and you actually start to dig into that, you're like, wow, this album kind of was doing a lot of the things that is done now. And it kind of does it better than is being done now in a lot of ways like an example track i would say is something like reversing where Mm -hmm. it has just that like incredibly slow tempo for a house track like it is so slow i i i it's like i struggle to define it as house because it just is so slow but then and then you have the reversed wind chimes coming in and the entire time you feel yourself being like drawn back or like pulled back into your pillow and you understand that it's putting you in that space where you're like, I can now do like a monotonous task. It's liminal. Right. But every sample, every part of the song is constructed with so much delicate care when you get down to it that it's hard not to appreciate 
and get lost in it for a moment while you're working where instead of like oh it just purely exists in the background i find myself just drifting into that loop that he creates across the entire album yeah i agree i think that song so my note under that song is um this reminds me of or feels like a perpetual record skipping or perpetual Uh, skipping record yeah that's good but i think you know, when you really get into it, that can sound like a nightmare. To me, a perpetual record skipping isn't a, night- a nightmare. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. they somehow make that feeling more enjoyable or more calming. Yeah, there's just a, an incredible amount of subtlety to the music presented on this project. And there are moments where he proves that he there's like no necessary need for him to be this subtle. And I didn't give you one of his earlier albums where that's kind of not his MO. There are earlier albums mm-hmm. where he is like very much not subtle. And he lets that go in a couple moments on this album, like sing, which is probably one of my favorite electronic tracks I've ever heard in my entire life. I think ever. that was, that was for sure my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. The, the construction of that song, the immediacy of it. And also there's just something about like when an electronic artist finds the cut of a human voice and yeah. just puts it right in and it's just flawless. Those voices that come in on Sing, every time they come in, I get chills. I do think that the opener, Angel Echoes, was really mm. I was it's it's really cool. It's just really cool. I was just yeah. like, Oh, this is cool. Everything he's doing with all of these samples and I specifically like so everyone samples oohs and ahs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but not yeah. that many people actually sample breath. And so yeah. him using the actual like samples of people taking breaths, quick breaths, short breaths, everything I thought was really, really cool just to hear and to hear the way he sort of orchestrated it all to come together. I don't know that I necessarily thought it sounded like Angel Echoes, but... I was into it, whatever it did sound like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, song titles are always like, it, electronic song titles are always like that, where yeah. you're kind of, or instrumental, I should say, just generally, where sometimes you'll be like, mm, you're getting a little, you're getting a little out there with just, your title. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you just got a drum loop over some people going, <gasps> exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. I think that what you're kind of hinting at where you're able to like really exactly point to a moment that you're like that moment was cool or like this moment was interesting is how like the listening experience is while you're hearing it mm-hmm. because it's a part of a genre that's so subtle and so understated where you can instantly point at it and say like that's really cool that's interesting but when you try to make like, a larger impression it's like i don't know it just kind of felt good the whole time it, it didn't really do much else just beyond like exist and like make the space feel comfortable but right. music that does that with such precision, I find, is actually not even that common. I, I have a hard time naming that many albums that I can put on that feel as comfortable as this one does. If we're extrapolating it to film TV terms, I think that cinematographers kind of do that every time. You know, that's their mm-hmm. job. That is their job. And which is why I always find them to be just incredibly impressive. <laughs> yeah. Like I could never I could never do that. And all the people who are whose entire job is continuity 
you know, making sure that if you place that cup down and take one over there on that corner of the table, that is where you place it for the rest of the scene, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I do think, I think if you can understand that, then you can understand what you're saying about what Forte mm-hmm. is doing, you know? It's a really unique album that I guess is a little bit hard to understand unless you have like listened to a ton of them. Right. Yeah, I'm. I, I might be realizing right now. Like this. Uh, this is only occurring to me just now. Like that part of the reason why I appreciate it so much is because so many of his other albums suck, <laughs> which sounds so bad. But like it, it, when he tried no, to recreate the stuff, it that's yeah. real. <laughs> I would tell anyone that you know the whole album. Throw it on while you're doing some dishes. But most importantly, if you're ever on a walk somewhere, just throw on "Sing" by Fortet. Just, yeah. Just just throw it on. Yeah. It's, it's like one of the happiest I've ever felt in my life was walking through Philly listening to "Sing." <laughs> Okay. You got me extremely fucked up. You got me so (laughs) fucked Okay. It's okay. I got to say this off jump. We are going from like you. I like, okay. 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 Let me start over. Let me start over. You're laughing your ass off right now. Let me start over. Okay. So I sent her sing like to explain Fortet and I kind of get why like you heard sing and you recommended this movie. Like I, I I do get that. I I want to say that off jump. However, Mm -hmm. This was definitely our first like swing and a miss <laughs> in terms of like cohesive pairs. Did not work. Oh, oh my god, these are such different projects in like, so different in every single way. But I I don't care because they're both great. So we'll just this will be like our yin yang episode because one is like completely subtle, trying to make you feel comforted, and this has got me so fucked nope. up. I cannot put you. I cannot put into words how fucked up I am. So just Nadir, go into your little background thing about this project, and then I'll tell you how I feel. All right? (laughs) I would just like to say that this is payback for you forcing me to listen to Death Grips, okay? All right. right, I feel like this is payback. This is payback for everything that you've put me through. And the fact that you feel that I didn't, properly warn you to me is um beyond (laughs) because i feel as though i was like you will be confused you definitely Um, warned me but i just don't think that there's like any amount of warning that can be proper and there isn't there there is not there is not so the movie that we're talking about (laughs) is david lynch's 2001 film mulholland drive which if i were to try and describe in a cute little synopsis um would be dumb but i'm going to do it anyway (laughs) um so essentially the genre of the film is described as a surrealist neo-noir mystery film but the tagline is something like a love story in the city of dreams so love story mystery film neo-noir i don't know the only thing i can guarantee is the surrealist part (laughs) That's the only thing I can guarantee you. Yep. Um, And on its head follows kind of (laughs) the story. (laughs) I was about to say this this movie has a head. Follows in no large way (laughs) the story (laughs) of a young girl named Betty who moves to L.A. to become an actress. You know, she's a... An aspiring actress. She meets this woman who we shall call Rita, who was just in a car accident 
And due to the car accident, lost her memory, had amnesia, and now Betty and Rita are trying to figure out what Rita's past is, where she comes from, what's going on. Now, now that I've said that, the movie is actually about none of that. None of that is true. And it also does what David Lynch loves to do, where it includes a lot of random things that never make sense or add up or come back again. Mm -hmm. And notoriously for this specific film, David Lynch is very hush-hush about explaining it. He is not. He has been asked multiple times. He has never explained it. He will never explain it. And he's very into you having your own interpretation of what the film means. And the film is told in a series of vignettes. So I was trying to think about the best way to go about it. And I think what we should do is I think we should just talk about parts we really liked or didn't like Mm -hmm. general impressions of the film and then we each can go and say what we think the film means and i'll read to you some general theories about what people think the film means okay yeah that sounds good to me i will say this i i how did you feel (laughs) i did not look up anything about this movie after watching it because yeah. I wanted to, like, experience this kind of, like, learning about it and, like, bring mm-hmm. in my own theories, kind of, like, untainted by what the internet says. Mm-hmm. I have never in my entire life been more confused watching a movie <laughs> than watching this mm-hmm. movie. I I cannot put into words how perplexed I was and how I covered the emotional range so rapidly. Mm-hmm. I... This is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen for some reason. Mm-hmm. I I have the movie is weirdly terrifying and terrifying. I, I am glad that you mentioned his camera work because I wrote in my notes. I said camera work, camera work, camera work. Stop doing that fucking thing where you pull the camera into first person and show what they're looking at. Stop doing that to me, man. It freaks me <laughs> the fuck out. And on the inverse, I went from being so totally scared because I'm watching this in my car in Portland at 2 a.m. and then on the inverse i am laughing my ass off at it's shit that so happens. funny i am laughing it's so funny i have not laughed harder at a movie i, I think this is the, the hardest i've laughed at any movie that you've shown me because i could not stop i couldn't stop laughing there were scenes where things would happen like when he shot the woman through the wall i yep. couldn't stop laughing i couldn't but, okay, stop laughing the, that entire <laughs> bungled hit hitman hit scene yeah is probably one of the best like you know there's always a bungled um a bungled robbery a bungled home invasion a bungled whatever whatever that is probably the single best bungled job scene i have ever seen yeah it's it's absolutely incredible um and and so i guess to surmise how i feel i don't understand this movie in the slightest i i do not pretend to understand this movie in the slightest yeah but I fully feel like a David Lynch stand now. I like I I don't know what else to say. Like I I I feel like I've entered his universe. And also, when I found out two thirds of the way in that this was a love story, I was like, I fucking hate you, David Lynch. How dare yeah. you? How dare you tell me that this is not a mystery? This is a love story. Two thirds yeah. of the way into this movie, and also, weird side note: when Patrick Fischler showed up for the second time in the movie, just in the cafe again, oh. I. 
I was so upset. <laughs> I cannot put into words yeah, so, how upset I felt at the fact that he was just there again. And I was like, I thought you were so, just going to be so gone. So I will, I will explain that to you and what is probably my favorite theory. Before okay. I say how I feel about it, which obviously you know I love it, I do want to say a few things. One, it's generally considered one of the best movies of that decade. It's also incredibly divisive. You either really, really love this movie and every weird oddball thing it's doing, or you absolutely hate it. You know, you're yeah. like, cannot get over it and so you know very divisive but it still has i think an 83 percent on rotten tomatoes 85 on metacritic people generally love it it's one of the last things david lynch has ever done so everything else came before eraser head blue velvet twin peaks this movie was nominated for an oscar for best director which you can see why david lynch also wrote it i don't know if i mentioned that but that's incredibly Wait, important he wrote this too jesus fucking christ he writes almost everything that he does i actually would be very interested to know the things that he directed that he hasn't written himself because mm. imagine you can't turn this into the movie it is if you didn't also write the script yeah you know what i mean that's completely like, fair i don't know how else you'd do it so i guess if we're just talking about moments we really liked you pointed out um, one of my favorite scenes and my, fa- my favorite scene is the diner scene yeah. at Winkie's mm-hmm. where he's talking about his dream. Mm-hmm. It's so, fu- it, it makes no sense. But when I explain to you this theory that I have stumbled upon that I did not, I mean, some of it I came, I thought of myself, but most 90% of it did not think of myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also that's, that is really early in the movie. And it scares the fuck out of you. I don't know. It, oh, it it's is, the, it's like probably the only jump scare in the whole thing. But it, it is a legitimate jump scare. Yeah. And not only it, does that jump scare feel earned, it also is, you know, it's going to happen. And it's still yes. so scary. So it's so terrifying. scary. This, this sound, the ambient noises that this film uses. Oh, but in general, don't. especially Ugh. in that moment. I, I mean, I've always. Especially in I've that moment. I've always heard Lynch's soundtracks and thought they were fucked up. Like, as like a musician, I was like, this is a fucked up ambient soundtrack. But putting it yes. to the actual movie. Holy fucking shit. Yes. Yeah, it's so impactful. But that scene, just the way it devolves so quickly from reality to surrealism or to another aspect of reality or to dream state however you see it however you choose to define it the way it develops and the general anxiety you feel is Mm. so palpable and so smart and so hard to do without it feeling like you're watching a soap opera you know, the the, uh, the way David Lynch is able to achieve melodrama without getting to the point of soap opera yeah. is so impressive to me every time in everything he ever does. And I still don't entirely know how. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But in general, my favorite Lynchian things are the things that kind of come up once or are um, contained scenes. So my other favorite scene is the cowboy scene. Oh my god! Yes, 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 yes. That's my other yeah. the, the cowboy scene. I I was going to say I have never felt more threatened by a character in any movie in that I've ever watched ever. Maybe any picture, piece of fiction I've ever consumed ever. No character has ever felt more threatening than this cowboy who looks so nice and has a white hat and like and has no hair. And Did has, you notice that he has like he has no eyelashes, no eyebrows, no he has no yeah, hair. He has no like hair. he is weirdly the most threatening character I have ever experienced in my entire life. 
<laughs> okay, so I'll get into some theories. And I think the thing about theories, a lot of them are enticing, but none of them completely explain every single aspect. Yeah. Um, and then I'll get into one and I'll after this is over, I'll send you a YouTube video that I think to me kind of explains what I feel is like closest to the truth. So there's the one theory that Diane slash Betty is dreaming. And the last part of the film is the truth. That's mm. probably the most widely held theory. Yeah. That is the theory that I subscribe to. There was never a point in the film once that last sort of fifth or fourth, however long it is, mm-hmm. dropped, that I thought that anything that had happened before was any sort of reality. Like, yeah. as soon as she woke she woke up and looked depressed and ragged, I was like, not nah, as real. This yeah, the real. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. I was like, I don't know mm-hmm. what I just saw, but this is the real part. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's why I said you got me fucked up in, like, in the last third. Yeah, there's the other theory that I entertained for a while that was that both are true and they exist in parallel universes. There's another theory that Betty and Diane are two different people who look similar, as is common in Hollywood, and it's making some sort of commentary on Hollywood, which the film is doing no matter what theory you choose. Yes, Um, yeah, totally. I generally subscribe, like I said, to the first theory that Diane slash Betty is dreaming and that when she's Diane at the end... She, um, it's the real her and Mm -hmm. everything else that happens beforehand is a dream. There is a really great YouTube video that sort of explains in high detail how this could happen, how this could be. Um, and I also think even in that video, it's warranted to look at the comments to see other tidbits that people have pointed out or corrections Mm -hmm. that they would make. But generally that theory explains that. The entire first part is a dream induced by Diane's suicide. So her, Mm -hmm. because you know how towards the end she shoots herself in the head and then she falls back on the red sheets and the film Mm -hmm. starts with the first person camera view of someone falling onto red sheets. So that's right. Fuck. So, So that whole theory is that the entire first part of the film is the sort of like the dream that Diane has before she fully dies, before she fully passes away. And in this dream, she is creating the life that she wanted and the relationship that she wanted. And Mm -hmm. it does the thing. And this gets back to seeing people multiple times. It does the thing that dreams do where, you know how there's that factoid that every single person you see in a dream is someone you've actually seen in real life. Yeah, yeah, no, that that and yeah. it links every person in because you've got you've got their real life version of them, and then you've got exactly. Oh shit! Oh shit! The the whole theory is just basically every piece of guilt or insecurity that she feels in the real world, either from just her life or from the specific act of ordering the hit on Camilla, is then corrected or addressed in the dream which is like the first four fifths or two thirds or whatever the split is of the film i was going to say that you know i always try to say like what my favorite scene is in the movie Mm -hmm. and while like i had scenes that like i really like i laughed and i thought were incredible my favorite like scene was the scene where they open the blue box because the Mm. way he moves that camera to one like make betty disappear he zooms the camera into the box once it's opened. You don't really like see what's in the box because it's just darkness. But then the way the box falls and hits the ground and the set 
completely resets itself mm-hmm. and all of those moments i there was something about that scene i knew it was a very critical part of the movie and it was handled so well i i it, it just every shot was so interesting how the box fell how the camera lingered on certain moments i it it just like was haunting watching that scene where yeah. she opened the box I love everything about it. I think the movie's great, but I do think it's confusing. I think it's meant to be confusing. But I think if you liked it, you will like David Lynch's other stuff. No, I I think if you didn't like it, then... I absolutely adored it. I spent the whole time so confused and so delighted. Yeah, I love that. Because there's a difference between, like... Okay, so not to call out one of my favorite directors, and again, I'm saying one of my favorite directors, but there's a difference between watching Tenet and being confused (laughs) and watching Mulholland Drive and being confused. One is frustrating. The other is delightful, as you Mm -hmm. said. And I, you know, the delightful is where you want to be. And it's so hard to do what David Lynch does is there it any, is so it, hard to do is there anyone else who even does it like i i like no he's lit it's literally called lynchian the tone that um that wes anderson captures so yeah. perfectly and acutely even other people have come close to that but no one no one has come close to successfully capturing anywhere near what david lynch does and i think that this is probably the best example of david lynch on 11 you know like mm-hmm. not pulling any punches doing all of his most lynchian things to the nines like it's just i just started listening numbers but anyway so yeah it's, it's no, really i, I mean good. i haven't seen yeah. enough to claim that but it did feel like this is a very full expression i i, I feel like i watched one movie and i fully understand the term lynchian now like a hundred percent yeah understand and the i term think lynchian. you do i can't i think like we were saying with Forte, I think the fact that this comes towards the end of his most illustrious run um, Mm -hmm. in terms of all the projects he made is really like, you can see how the other things were building up to this. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that like Francis Ha made me feel good, but this like might be the favorite thing I've seen. Like Francis Ha was like, like I, I would show that movie to anyone, but like this is definitely the coolest thing I've witnessed on the podcast so far. Oh, man, that makes me so happy to say, ah, oh, I love David Lynch. I love any day when I can turn someone into a Lynch fan. That's a good day for me. Man, you, boy, did you do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So moving on to next week, I feel like mm-hmm. this, like, I don't know how else to say, like, I, I say this a lot. I'm always like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited. But, like, I cannot put into words how excited I am for this coming week because, like, it is just truly going to be like one of my favorite it, the discussion that surrounds it will be a lot about like inter- music internet culture which is one of my favorite parts about music mm-hmm. is the way that we talk about it and consume mm-hmm. it and right you will be listening to the just unmatched the literal deity the base god little mm-hmm. b mhm yeah because, i'm really excited because despite knowing everyone knowing who he is it's actually kind of hard to find people who've listened through and through to one of his projects yeah i haven't so for all those people who are like oh you never listen to will be i have i have i just haven't listened to a full <laughs> album front to back thank you very much 
And that is a a Mm -hmm. requirement or a space in our podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes. And the album that you'll be listening to is God's Father, which comes a little bit later in his career. It's not as early. um, It's not like super early mixtape. But the reason why I will, you know, explain that week. But I do want to say that the I'm not even going to describe him any further. I mean, he's the bass god, but the only way I will describe what you're going to get into is on the album, which is just black and white with some words on it, there is Little B, God's Father, and then a quote. I'm going to read to you that quote, and then I'm done talking about this. Okay. Little B is one of the most revolutionary artists in music. All he has to do is walk, and they will follow. By Great. Little B. Love that. Of course. Oh, 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 I was assuming you didn't even have to do the buy. I was assuming that that was who, who said the quote. Um, I'm really excited. Okay, so the, okay, so the film that I chose for you is not going to be a perfect match for this. But considering the fact that I've listened to a lot of black music, it is rare that I also get to pair it with a black film necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. And with a film that is steeped in rap culture. So, of course, of course, for this album, it's kind of like a now or never time, even though I know a gangster gangster rap album would be better. I know that. I do know it. But it's kind of now or never, do or die. So, of course, the film that you have to watch is Boys in the Hood. It's time. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's time. I did my dissertation on this film and one more. Um, It is one of the single best and most revered black films that has ever existed or been created. I think it's one of the most impactful films. That's why I'm so excited. I know you did your dissertation on this and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited to watch this now. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it's one of the most impactful films I've ever seen in my entire life. I cannot say enough of how I think that this film is one of the best films ever made black white whatever like I think that this film is Mm -hmm. phenomenal I think it's incredible I think it is a marker of the times and the culture it Um, it doesn't matter it's gonna be a better pairing than this week (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's so true oh god I don't even I don't even care Oh, Uzi Vert from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. Car going by, parked on a street, all these people walking around me.